you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here. And, Buck, man, I, I'm fired up about this episode. I know you having played the position, this one's near and dear to your heart. Talking wideouts today. Oh, man, I, I love the – you call them wide receivers. I call them the playmakers, the pass catchers. <laughs> These are the guys that we're beginning to see now make the offense go. You can make the argument outside of the quarterback – the wide receivers have started to become the second most important position on the field because they, these are the guys that are able to make the big plays in the passing game, and everyone in the National Football League is living and dying with the passing game. No doubt, and here's uh, who you have to look forward to. The conversations in this episode, Thomas Dimitrov, general manager of the Atlanta Falcons, one of the best wide receiver rooms in the NFL, including arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL, and Julio Jones. We're going to get his insight on scouting the position. Brian Billick. Everybody knows Coach Billick from hoisting the trophy as a Super Bowl-winning head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, but go back before that when he was with the Minnesota Vikings and that receiving core he had a chance to coach as that offensive coordinator. Randy Moss, Jake Reed, Chris Carter. What a, a person to talk to in regards to the position. And how about somebody that's played the position for 15 years in the National Football League? 
Brandon Stokely is going to offer unique insight. Bucky is, is one of the better route runners uh, during his career. A couple stints there with Peyton Manning. Uh, some fascinating stories from, uh, from Mr. Stokely. I know the folks are going to enjoy. Yeah, the folks will enjoy all of these interviews. Thomas Dimitrov, obviously you talked about having Julio Jones. Brian Billick being the director of that explosive offense with the Minnesota Vikings. And then Brandon Stokely, who found a way to survive in this league for 15 years. You just don't play the position that long in the National Football League without being talented and skilled in several areas. Throwing left side wants DeAndre Hopkins and Nuke with the TD catch! Oh my goodness! Breeze drops back, throws down the slot. Mike Thomas in stride! He's to the 30! He's to the 20! To the 10! Touchdown! Mike Thomas, 72 yards! And the Saints strike a hole in the hearts of the Rams in the fourth! Takes the snap, he's back to throw. He lobs one left for Beckham again, who's got a touchdown, Giants. Here's Julio, Jones is open. Down the far sideline and will score! Oh my heavens! All right, let's get to our evaluation before we get to those conversations. Uh, what we're looking for when we're scouting the position. Buck, I'll give you the floor. The first thing I look for, uh, you know, it's a mix of explosiveness and separation, meaning I want to be able to see a guy that at the top of his break, he is able to create separation from the defensive back. Everyone worries about the 40 time and how fast these guys go in a straight line. But really, the guys that have superb stop-start quickness are the ones that are able to separate. And if you can create a yard, two yards of separation in the National Football League, you're wide open by any measure. You have to have guys that can create that space to be able to be successful as number one receivers. I love that. And to me, I write down quickness and separation. So those are the two words I use when you're looking at those things. Um, we've talked about it before. Uh, don't get carried away with the 40 time. Obviously, you want guys to be explosive. You know, uh, you know look at a guy like Tyreek Hill. That, that helps. Um, but if you have to choose, and it's between speed and skill, um, I'll give a little bit on the speed in, in order to get the skill because we've seen it, Buck. Um, you, you look in the National Football League right now. We talked about this in the run-up to the Combine. Looking at the guys that uh, caught over 100 balls last year, and you see guys like Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Juju Smith-Schuster, Antonio Brown, Keenan Allen. What do those guys have in common? None of them cracked below 4.5 on, on 40. Uh, these guys are skill over speed, skill and quickness. Uh, those are, are areas that I, I start with right there. You've got to be able to get in and out. And, and of course, you've got to be able to catch the football. You know, do you have strong hands? And I've really got into this the last uh, couple years. We've talked about it on the Move Sticks podcast, but uh, contact strength mm -hmm. is, uh, is something that I, I find more important as we go along. Just look at what's taking place in the postseason and think about some of the big plays that were made and some of the big plays that weren't made at the wide receiver position. I want guys with strong hands that can absorb contact and finish. You know, it's funny because this last trait that I look for kind of encompasses everything that we've talked about leading into it. You talked about guys that were dependable, reliable, could do a great job of making uh, contested catches, can deal with the contact. I believe reliability is a huge factor in the evaluation process. Can I depend on you to make the catch in the clutch? Whether that's third down, is it in the red zone, is it in a critical situation with a game on the line and a two-minute drill? Can I throw the ball out in your direction and consistently count on you to make those plays? Those are the guys that are able to really play for a long time in the league, the guys that are the dependable, reliable chain movers who also have some big play ability. Yeah, and, and I would add on to those, those qualities. Now, the way the game is played, run after catch, I would argue is more important 
than it's ever been. You know, you, you come uh, from your scouting background, Buck. You guys had always focused on returners and finding, you know, guys outside the first round that had that returnability. A lot of the players we just mentioned with, with all this production – they had returnability, and that's a great way when evaluating college players at the position. Man, do they return kicks? Can I watch this guy? How is he in space? Um, run after the catch with all the bubble screens and tunnel screens and quick hitters and fly sweeps and all that's incorporated in today's NFL, RPOs. Uh, Buck, I don't know that run after catch has ever been more important. It is very important that the receiver is able to make things happen when he gets the ball in his hands. Part of the reason why we look for former punt returners when I was in Seattle and when I played in Green Bay, we felt like those guys were, were comfortable in traffic. They were comfortable being around a lot of bodies, and they had a level of toughness that allowed them to break tackles. And so when you're looking at wide receivers, be it for the draft, be it trying to project where they could fall in free agency, Look for guys who are very, very comfortable making things happen with the ball in the hands. Most more times than not, if you go and look in their bio, there were guys that were former punt returners at some level, be it college or in high school. They understand how to play in space. Absolutely. Well, we could go on and on about evaluating this position, but I know uh, the folks listening want to hear from some of our guests and their thoughts on it. Our first guest uh, we had a fantastic conversation with Thomas Dimitrov. We aired uh, a portion where he talked about his Atlanta Falcons team in depth. You can look in the, in the archives there, the Move the Sticks podcast, to find that episode. Uh, tremendous insight there on the Falcons team uh, in a broad sense. But we got a chance to really pin him down and have a great conversation about what makes a talented wide receiver and, and a wide receiver uh, you can depend on, you can win with in today's NFL. Uh, we're going to get to Coach Billick and Brand Stokely a little bit later. But right now, here is our conversation with Falcons general manager, Thomas Dimitrov. Ryan wants to throw. Jones the catch. Look 40. out. Julio into Green Bay territory. A stiff arm at the 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Atlanta. Atlanta is on the way to winning the NFC title and playing two weeks today in Super Bowl 51 in Houston. If I have this correct, TD, are you going into your 12th year as a general manager of the Atlanta Falcons? Can that be possible? Unbelievable. It is 12 years, and that's not a back pat at all. It's just it blows me away because we know how, you know, how a treacherous can be uh, walking through a, a career like this uh, just because uh, there's just a lot going on, of course. But 12 years, I think it may be, there may be three or four of us that are right around that a little bit more tenured than I am. My first question to you, Thomas, when, when you're looking at that position, the wide receiver position, what, what are the, the non-negotiables? What are the things you absolutely have to have if you're going to spend a pick on a wide receiver? Well, I, you know, we, we've talked about this many, many years, uh, having been brought up through the, you know, the, the Patriot world. And, and, you know, there's no question you need athleticism, pure movement, uh, body control, I talked about urgent athleticism on the defensive side, but I also think there needs to be urgency. There needs to be ability to run a route with urgency, stop, start, redirect. Separation is massively important for a receiver. You know, some people do it different ways. You know, Julio's movement, of, of course, is different than Calvin Ridley's. To me, when I watched him at his workouts, and you guys might have been at that Alabama workout, I have never seen a, a player run a route the way that he did and, you know, Gather his, you know, gather his weight, uh, decel to zero, so to speak, and get into and out of his cuts like Calvin Ridley. It is, it is really fascinating to watch as he continues to grow. We think that that combination of his speed, his ability to separate, pure natural athleticism, 
and, and continuing to hone his catching skills, you know, could could make him into you know one of the you know the very very most talented players in in the league as well. We feel that way. He's got a great leader in, in Julio Jones. When we went after Julio back in '11, that was one of the things that stood out in my mind. It was this big, really really athletic guy who had the ability to to run routes like he was six feet uh, or five eleven. Quite honestly, that really caught my eye. It was one of the things that I continue to think about all the time as we put together our our receiving group is making sure that again separate speed, athleticism. Um, and of course, they have to be really, really, really fiery and, and competitive, and we think all of our group is. You know, Thomas, it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm writing down the things that you talked about: athleticism and body control, explosiveness. You called it urgency, uh, separation. Uh, you talked about the speed and the route running ability. Um, when I look at the trend now in the league, how do you determine whether I want a big receiver? or one of those guys that we may now refer to as a little receiver, big receiver talking 6'2", 6'3", those big basketball types versus the guys that are kind of, you know, the six-footers or six-footer fewer um, guys that you can have on your roster. Well, I mean, that's another thing I've thought time and again. I mean, maybe a few years ago I wasn't as um, interested in always having that, you know, that bigger receiver since I've been around, you know, Julio Jones and, and, and you know, uh, Mo Sanu, to see what they bring to our team uh, and then mix in, you know, mix in some guys that, you know, I'm not saying Calvin Ridley is small because he's far from small, but, I mean, mix in other really athletic guys into a group of four, five, or six receivers that have some size in the group. I think that's really, really important. You know, you're going you're gonna to have, you know, you're going to have people out there who think, okay, there are a lot of big receivers out there. Now you have to match them with, you know, big corners or vice versa. And it is a really interesting uh, – uh, it's, it's interesting to see how that's spinning around our league right now. You guys both know that because you, you obviously are very honed in and understand receivers and corners. Um, I just – coming back to what we believe here, we need to make sure that we have a really good mix on our – you know, within our group of receivers. We don't want to be, you know, full of a whole bunch of 5, 10, and 5, 11 receivers nor do we want to have you know a whole bunch of longer loping receivers who are 6-4 who aren't separating the way that we want. I'm a big believer in versatility and, and mix and I think with that, you know, that really helps when we're running routes. It throws it throws defenses off when we have uh, different mixes of players within your your receiving group. TD, when you look at, at last year, the trend, we saw that, that speed shovel really kind of explode uh, last year. We also saw the fly sweep, all the stuff the Rams kind of got, got rolling, a bunch of teams incorporating that around the league. The Chiefs doing it as well. Last year was a record number of wide receiver carries. Uh, so when you look at run after catch, is that carry more weight? You know, do you trying to find one guy like that to kind of mix into your group, someone you can just flip the ball to? And how has that evolved and changed over the years you've been doing this? Well, that's a that's an interesting conversation as well because you think about bubble screens and screens and different ideas with getting your receivers, you know, involved in in, in the mayhem, so to speak. There have been many times over the years where I've like I'm just holding myself watching Julio Jones grab a ball when it is <laughs> rough and tumble out there, you know, and I'm thinking, uh, please, please, you know, let's let's give that to Sanu. He's got a you know he's got a little more girth on him that way, and and. Uh, but, but I, I think it's really, really important. You know, it's, that run after the catch idea is, is hugely important for us. We get the ball to all of our guys. I mean, Julio does an amazing job doing it in his own way, of course. 
Calvin Ridley, you get him the ball, and what he can do with his explosiveness to me is is second to, to, to none. And then you have Mo Sanu on a completely different wavelength who's going to grab the ball and get his hard five, six, or seven yards. So we feel we have three, at least three different approaches to that. And, and that run after catch, Daniel, is huge for us, very important. I don't, I don't mean to play it down. The only thing I don't want to do is obviously mm-hmm. get our players injured. Uh, so hopefully they're going to be doing it the right time in the right place. <laughs> I like that. I like the fact that you're talking about injury and you're worrying about that. Um, <laughs> you talked about having diversity in the wide receiver core. DJ and I kind of reference it to building a basketball team. You got some post-up guys. You got some shooters. You got a 3 and D guy. When you look at the way the league is trending, um, how many of those wide receivers in your wide receiver core really need to be guys that are what I call key contributors? Uh, we're so used to having people talk about the number one receiver, but how vital is it to have a number three receiver that has a role, a number four receiver that also can make some plays? Very, very important for us. I mean, one, two, and three, of course, you know, we consider them starters, you know, plain and simple. Number four is really important for us, not only, of course, you know, on the field running routes, which is, is important for us, but, of course, he has, to have a, he has to have a place out in special teams as well. And some of those guys, it, it becomes complicated when you put together that, that group of receivers. If you have an aging receiver who is still a really good receiver and yet you have a really good number three receiver, uh, a young and up-and-coming number three, then that receiver who might be a two or a three on your, on your, in your group becomes four and he doesn't have a, a special team's place, then unfortunately that guy can become obsolete. So it's, it becomes, uh, it becomes a really interesting discussion about how you want to put together, you know, all four, potentially even five of your receivers, four receivers for sure. Back in the day, I used to feel like, you know, one and two is fine. Man, if you can pop off four legit receivers, think you combine that with a really adept running game and a good tight end, I think uh, I think you have the makings uh, for for a team and an offense that can be prolific. Last question from me, TD. We appreciate all, all your time today. Um, when you look at the future of scouting at the position, at the wide receiver position, we talk on, on here all the time about how sometimes a scouting role can get a little bit stuck in the Stone Age. And if we're looking to, to, to be progressive going forward, one of the ideas we've kicked around is with all the GPS you guys have at the NFL level, and now almost every major college has that, uh, do you envision a future where instead of talking about 40 times, uh, we're talking about how a guy, his acceleration numbers with MPH, his ability to decelerate, and actually having hard data on that information going forward in the scouting process? Uh, Daniel, that's, you hit the nail on the head there. We're, we're in the process of talking about you know, next steps within the combine and, and you know, evaluating players, and there is no question that player tracking is going to take it to a completely different level. And we're going to be looking back on some of the sort of more remedial elements of what we do now. We've always <laughs> said that, right? And we're going to be laughing at it a oh, lot yeah. and thinking, are you kidding me? Um, and I love it. I think it's really good. I, I don't ever want to lose the sanctity of, of this game. I know you, you guys both believe that. But we have to continue to make it better. And I think, you know, by, by you know, analytics and where we are with, you know, analyzing at a lot of different levels, I think it can take us to a much better spot. And quite honestly, it's going gonna, it's gonna to allow team builders to make more educated decisions instead of just, you know, making choices off, you know, off their gut or off their heart. And I think that's a really important 
uh, situation for, for most of us as team builders and, of course, for owners as well. You know, TD, I've always said the team that is able to figure out the right mix between uh, tape study and analytic kind of like the, the data equation, they're going to be the team that goes to the next level because the information is there. It's just a matter of not going solely on the numbers and not being totally on the tape, but being able to blend it together so you can have the best evaluations. Oh, Bucky, you guys both know this because you guys have both evaluated a lot. It is, it's, a, it's a tough situation when you're sitting there with five linebackers, or in this case, five receivers, and you truly want to differentiate between the five. And, and it's a, we've come so far in today's world versus even 10, 15 years ago when you looked at those five receivers and you're really trying to, to map out what the differences are. And now you're able to, to take you know, your ability as a pure evaluator, which we all, all value a great deal, and then supplement properly with the right analytics, then I think you have, you know, an unbelievable way, way to approach, you know, your, your analysis. And, you know, look, they, you can take that out of the, the scouting and acquisition side and you can put it onto the coaching side as well. Get a really good football coach who has a great feel for scheme and then supplement it with the right analytics and the right, you know, the, the right proper study. And I think, you know, I think we're going to be, we're going to be, you know, shooting into the sky with uh, success because I, I just think it's going to be amazing when we look at this 15, 20 years from now, uh, you know, where we've evolved because, uh, again, most of us want that. We're just uh, – we need to be open-minded to it enough, of course. And when you have these, these owners that are now coming in who are willing to spend the money on it, I, I think it's, it's massively beneficial. Well, TD, look, this is your first day off, and I know how precious the time is in the offseason. It gets shorter and shorter each and every year. So for you to carve out some time for us today, man, we, uh, we cannot thank you enough. It's, uh, it was great to catch up with you. Hey, DJ, man, it's always great to have Thomas Dimitrov on the program, brings so many insights. But I'm really fascinated by the way that he kind of views Julio Jones. Uh, he talked about that, that explosiveness and his ability to separate. We've had him on before, and he talked about urgent athletes, guys that I like to call ASAP players, um, guys that make it happen as soon as possible when they get the ball in his hands. I just believe as the league has continued to trend towards the passing game and as more of these offensive coordinators are finding these gimme plays, be it key screens, bubble screens, slip screens, to get the ball in the playmaker's hands on the perimeter, you have to have guys that are comfortable being punt returners because it doesn't bother them to be in traffic. More importantly, they understand how to have the balance and body control to break tackles and make big things happen. Yeah, a couple things stood out to me. Number one is, um, you know, we, you evaluate for your own team when you're scouting in the league, when you're, when you're a pro scout, right? You, uh, you evaluate your own roster. That's part of the job. Well, the other part of the job is you're creating an advanced scouting report for your opponents and letting your coaching staff know about the personnel they're getting ready to play on the upcoming Sunday. And uh, we talk about it all the time, blue-chip players, right? Guys you have to worry about, guys you have to game plan against. And when you have a wide receiver – a big-time wide receiver that you have to deal with and, and work coverage around uh, presents a challenge. So uh, I think there is a lot of value. I know some folks have looked at it and said, well, if you look at the, the Super Bowl-winning teams over the last several years, um, they lack that, that high-power superstar wide receiver. And I say, look, we're living in the New England Patriots era. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so this is going to be something we look back, and it's going to be a, a lot of it's going to be standalone in terms of how they operated and what they're able to accomplish and uh, I don't want to poo-poo anything they're doing, but I'm just saying there is tremendous value when you've got a big-time horse on the outside. When we think about number one receivers, 
the way that I've been taught the definition of a number one receiver is a guy that commands a double team. He is so talented that you leave him alone one-on-one. He cannot be guarded. He's unstoppable. He's a guy that dictates the terms to the defense in terms of how they want to play their coverage. And even when they're double coverage, double covered, they still find a way to make those plays. So when we think about some of the guys that are at the top of the charts year in, year out, Antonio Brown is able to do it. DeAndre Hopkins does it. We've seen Julio Jones do it. Odell Beckham Jr. does it. And we're beginning to see Michael Thomas do it. These dominant players, these number one receivers, they have the ability to win versus any coverage, but they make you as a defense coordinator really dig deep in a bag of tricks to try and come up with a way to slow them down. Right, one more thing here before we get to uh, to Brandon Stokely and Coach Brian Billick. Um, I, I thought it's a fascinating to me, and I know you feel the same way, technology and how that's going to impact how we evaluate positions, and particularly the wide receiver position, because, Buck, the uh, having, having the, uh, the trackers on players and being able to monitor the GPS equipment that is already out there and employed right now, it's going to make a huge difference when that's available in the scouting process. Oh, it's going to make a tremendous difference because being able to track players, we talk in the NBA about load management and how you're able to kind of uh, – reduce the impact on your players by kind of giving them a day off or not ma- making them kind of fight through the wall. Well, when it comes to wide receivers, there's no one that runs as much wide receivers on the field. Every play is basically a track meet. And so if you're able to kind of put some monitors on the players, kind of see where they're at, you then can come up with a better plan for late in week to be able to kind of get them going so they're fresh. More importantly, you're able to check their real explosiveness. That's it's going to about. change yeah. the way that we evaluate uh, wide receiver acceleration, deceleration. Yeah, that's going to be uh, fascinating to see where it goes from a scouting standpoint. All right, Buck, we're going to get to uh, Coach Brian Billick in a minute. But first up, our conversation with one of Peyton Manning's favorite targets on two different teams, Brandon Stokely. Back to throw, Trent Dilfer throwing deep down the middle for Stokely. He's got a 10 5 touchdown. Brandon Stokely for the score. He beat Jason Seahorn and the Ravens a 38-yard strike. Dilford to Stokely. Uh, coming out of, uh, I still say, what, southwestern Louisiana. I now, now it's, what, <laughs> University of Louisiana. What are we calling your school now, Stoke? Uh, Louisiana, uh, University of Louisiana at Lafayette. We, we like to be the state school, so okay. we'll just say University of Louisiana. Okay, that's a good one. I like that. We'll, we'll go with that. And by the way, did we ever figure this out? Because our teams played against each other when I was at Northeast Louisiana in, uh, in 1997. But I think you might have been hurt. I don't know if you played in that game against NLU that year. Did you play in that one? I, I, I don't think I, I didn't play in that one. And um, I try to yeah. forget those last two years of my career in college. It, <laughs> they weren't very successful. We didn't win many football games. <laughs> Well, you did uh, you did win plenty of football games when you got to the next level. I, I want to talk to you about the, the wide receiver position today. Uh, obviously, an area of expertise. You do not play that long and be as productive as you were uh, without understanding the nuances of that position. But I want to start, go back to, to high school, because I'm always enamored from the scouting side of things, of, of guys that play multiple sports. I know you played other sports. How, how did those other sports shape you and develop you and help you on the football field? Well, I think when you look at playing, you know, basketball and baseball and, and what those sports do for, for you in football, you talk about uh, quickness, inline quickness, especially for a guy like me that's playing wide receiver, playing in the slot, just being able to move in spaces um, and being able to, uh, you know, when you're talking about learning how to work with other players. And, and, and uh, for me, uh, I love multi-sport athletes um, and, and 
I, I think when you look at where today's high school and young sports are going, it's uh, harder and harder to play multi-sports, and I think that hurts the kids. But for me, I think playing basketball and playing baseball, playing other sports really helped me uh, in football uh, and, and be a, a better player, uh, but also you know learn how to be a better be a better teammate. I love that. I love that. When you think about just the sport of baseball in particular, I've seen a lot of wide receivers that have a little bit of a baseball background. Uh, being able to track the ball, I would imagine that helps just basic hand-eye coordination. It seems like an easy transfer. Absolutely. Um, uh, I think when you, when, you do, when you look at baseball, when you look at hitting, when you look at catching fly balls and all those things, just hand-eye coordination. The more you do it, the better off you're going to be. And I think um, – you know, doing and not just catching footballs year round, doing other things to help your hand-eye coordination um, will, will help you in whatever sports you're trying to do. But certainly when you're looking at catching a football and uh, running routes, I think foot, basketball with, with the quickness and, and, and being able to move side, or side to side laterally up and down the court. And baseball, just like you said, DJ, uh, being able to track hand-eye coordination, uh, you know, batting and hitting and, 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 tr- and tracking the baseball from the pitcher's hands uh, absolutely helps you. But if you had to just start with kind of the basics, the two or three core traits you believe you have to have in order to be successful at the National Football League level at the wide receiver position, what would they be? Well, you have to have quickness. Um, you have to be able to get off the jam and the press coverage. And if you can't do that, you're not going to win in the NFL. You know, these guys are too good. They're going to get in your face and try to reroute you. So uh, you have to be able to have quickness to get off the line of scrimmage. I think second, um, you have to be able to get in and out of your breaks uh, to be a good route runner. And I think that's a little bit overlooked at the at the younger ages and in college. But when you get in the NFL, if you're not a good route runner, these defenses, these cornerbacks are too good. Um, they'll 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 cover you. Um, and and I, I think third is you know you need to have good hands. You need to be reliable. Um, and uh, I don't think front line you know speed is is everything. I'd rather have a guy that's uh, quick that can get off the jam, that runs good routes, and that catches everything. And I think that's what you see a lot of these teams that are successful doing these days. Looking at the postseason, you look at how the game changes. Obviously, I think you played something like 16 postseason games, so you know about playoff football. But the space disappears. You're looking more, a lot more contact catches. I think you go back to the Super Bowl, watch, you know, Brandon Cooks isn't able to haul in, you know, a ball where he gets contacted down the field. You look at Alshon Jeffrey the year that the Eagles won. He's got contact catches. Obviously, Edelman's famous one against the uh, the Falcons where he's able to pin the ball uh, to his head and somehow come, come down with it. But that overall strength to be able to absorb contact and finish um, how do you go about developing that trade, and is that something you see as a key, especially with all your postseason experience? I think it's just reps and practice, um, you know, and doing different drills um, and put, putting receivers and, and putting yourself in, in different positions and practice to in, in your individual work to, you know, catch the football, take hits, catch the football, take hits, whether it just be the padding that you hit the guy with. Um, and the other thing is just look, concentration and focus, really. Um, because you, you can't you, you can't go out and practice and, and catch a football and get drilled every time. Uh, you, you can't work on it that way, um, especially in today's you know uh, sports. But but I think w- when you talk about just just the want to and just focus, um, uh, because you know you're going to get hit, 
And you got to block that out of your mind and just focus on the football and, 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 and catch it. So I think it's uh, concentration and focus, but also just um, being able to block out the pain that's about to happen and focus on the football and know that, you know, regardless of what's going to happen, you're going to get hit. So you might as well catch the football. You're somebody that obviously you're known for your hands. You caught everything, but also you had a little wiggle, a little something after the catch. What goes into making somebody successful after the catch? You're trying to evaluate these guys as we are each and every year. Uh, what makes somebody special after the catch? I mean, for me, that really, you know, I I tried to get yards after the catch, but for me, it was more like catching the football and then trying not to get killed because I knew my limitations. <laughs> I wasn't gonna get. I wasn't gonna have a 50-yard touchdown. And run very often. You so, had a little wiggle, I, I, Stoke. You had some wiggle. Yeah, feel, you had some I wiggle. Like Don't I had, sell yourself I felt short. Like I had some good wiggle, uh, but then when a guy touched me, I just like crumbled and fell. So I, I wasn't breaking many tackles. Um, look, I think it's just you know being an athlete, you know, and you see these guys younger and younger age, and, and where the game has gone, and these seven on seven camps, and and, and how. Uh, advanced the passing game has become at younger and younger ages and, and look these kids are more and more athletic they're training um, like you know never before and so uh, I think you get these guys the ball in space especially when you look at, at, at how many receivers are on the football field and you look at where the passing game is going you're seeing a lot of these these running backs they used to be running backs play wide receiver and so um, you know, getting the football in their hands and watching what they can do after. I mean, that's that's what you see the game going to and what you see a lot of success happen, especially um, in the college game. And you see it starting to uh, kind of trickle into the NFL game. We always talk about building a basketball team with your wide receivers, getting guys with different skill sets. You play there with the Colts. I believe you guys, one year, all three of you, with you, Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison, went over 1,000 yards. I believe you had over 10 touchdowns that year. Uh, but what were the different skill sets that you guys brought to the table that, that kind of complemented the whole offense with Peyton there? Well, Reggie was that tough, physical wide receiver. Um, and, you know, he was our, our physical – he was our enforcer. Uh, if, if you needed somebody to run through a tackle, break a tackle, that was Reggie Wayne. Um, uh, Marvin Harrison, look, he could just do it all. Uh, he wasn't going to break tackles, uh, but you talk about the quickness to get off the line of scrimmage, the acceleration, the, the attention to detail on the routes. Um, you, you couldn't press them. And uh, both of those guys had unbelievable hands. But uh, the thing that really separated them was their work ethic and, and bringing it to, on the practice field Monday through Saturday, and then it just transferred over to Sunday. But those guys had a unique skill set. We didn't have that big six-six wide receiver, um, but but we had the tough wide receiver in Reggie Wayne, and we had the quick, fast, explosive guy in Marvin Harrison. And I was just kind of the compliment in between the two. Like, okay, when they cover up both of those guys up, Peyton was just like, all right, let me just find that little guy over the middle. Hopefully, he doesn't screw things up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, over a thousand yards and ten touchdowns plus. I think I think you did okay there. Uh, look at that chemistry you guys had with Peyton. What goes into that? Because we just see the finished product on the field on Sunday. But to be able to throw with the timing anticipation that number eighteen did all throughout his career, give give us a little peek behind the curtain of what went into developing that chemistry uh, w with your quarterback. It was work. It was work every single day. Um, and I remember waking up because Thursday was our long days. That was our two-minute drill. That was our third down. So for a guy like me, that was the long, long days. And we would go two and a half hours, and we would end that practice. And I would wake up, 
on Friday, and I was more more on Friday than I would be on Monday after a football game. So, I mean, we put in a lot of work and a lot of attention to detail um, because you knew that obviously Peyton doesn't didn't like gray area. He didn't like any gray area. He wanted to know, okay, this is how you're going to do it. So when it's third or fourth down, I know exactly where you're going to be. Um, and and so we just put the work in, and 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 it came obviously from Peyton Manning, but. Uh, when you looked at when when I got there and I saw the way that Marvin and Reggie worked, I'm like, okay, well, I have to work like these guys if I want to get on the football field. And if you don't work like that with Peyton, then he'll just find somebody else, and another guy will step in, and that guy will probably be really successful. Also, I had a chance to visit with Peyton a couple years back. I remember him telling a story about how after practice he he liked to instead of going through the whole route tree, which which for those who don't know, you're kind of running every single route. Uh, that's in the book it, he would take one guy one route and then just rep the same route over and over and over again uh, was that what he was doing all the way back then oh yeah oh yeah remember uh 2012 Payne's first year here in in Denver we were playing the Bears in our first preseason game and I ran a bad route and I drifted up the field on a five yard under route and drifted up the field I thought nobody was there well somebody was there unfortunately and it was uh, intercepted, and everybody was watching that game. That was Peyton Manning's return. And so uh, he proceeded the next day at practice um, to make me run that route with him off to the side. Every time a special teams practice was going on or after practice or any time we had a little break, I had to run that five-yard under that I've run probably a million times, and I knew my mistake, <laughs> and I knew what I did. And I was never going to do it again, but I had to run that thing a thousand times during practice so uh <laughs> so that not happen again so that yeah that's peyton manning just the attention to detail the uh repetition you know making sure that uh, everybody was on the same page all right brandon i want to i want to test your memory a little bit here we've talked a lot about those years you spent playing with peyton manning and, and marvin and reggie and those guys i want to go back to the baltimore ravens where it started i want to go back to the super bowl obviously everybody knows about your touchdown and that one the first touchdown of that game uh do you remember I'm sure you you can't forget this, right? You remember the play call, the coverage, and uh, and did you know right away what? Did you know right away this was coming your way? I I thought I had a good chance for it. I I, I felt really prepared that game. We we our receiver coach Milt Jackson, the late great Milt Jackson. Um, we we were we were going through different scenarios what they like to do, and we knew they liked to bracket the two inside guys. And so I saw the coverage, I knew what they were doing, and Milt told me, "Hey, you're not going to be able to beat both of these guys. Pick one of them and pick that outside guy and try to beat him. And then the quarterback, if he throws it to you, he's going to have to beat the other guy." Well, fortunately uh, for me, I had Shannon Sharp uh, on the other side of the football. And for some reason, not only did two guys cover Shannon Sharp, three guys covered Shannon Sharp. That that shows you what they thought about me. They're like, ah, well, we're only going to put one guy we're going to put three guys on Shannon Sharp. So uh, I had it pretty easy. And it was just one-on-one. And the defensive back, uh, Seahorn, I think he was expecting the help um that he never got and you know Trent made a great throw and I, so I didn't really have to do all that much I just kind of ran my route and like I was getting double covered uh, just like Milt uh had taught me and Trent made a great throw uh right down the seam and I was look I was shocked I was like oh no way is this ball coming my way I got a chance to catch it and and, and and maybe score a touchdown. So I was just like, don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it. And then I caught it, and I was right there. I mean, I was a couple yards away from the end zone, and, and no way I wasn't going to get that end zone. But it was, you know, like a small kid from 
Lafayette, Louisiana, catching a touchdown in the Super Bowl my second year in the NFL. I mean, I was just, uh, you know, it was unbelievable just to be in that situation. Yeah, no, that's going to go down in, in Super Bowl history. People will see that play over and over and over again. Just curious, have you run into Seahorn since that game at all? I've not, have not seen, have not seen Seahorn. I just tell him to jump on my back and I'd carry him for a few more yards if I saw him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love no, that. He, I love he, that. He, last, he actually, last th- <laughs> yeah, he got hung out to dry on that play. Yeah, no, it was not. A, he was not. He was not in a good spot. We'll uh, we'll leave it at that. And uh, all apologies to to the Seahorn family. Uh, last thing, Brandon. Look, as somebody that spent 15 years in this league at the wide receiver position, um, for for a new crop of rookies we have entering into the league, uh, just simply, what would your advice to these guys be? Um, it would be pay attention to the details, the small things. I think that's what separates you. Um, and it, it, it put in the extra work. Right. Put in the extra work with a quarterback. And uh, because if your quarterback's your best friend, I mean, uh, Trent Dilfer swears to this day that he saved my job going into my second year in the NFL, uh, that Brian Billick wanted to cut me and Trent went to him and they were talking about it. He said, no, uh, I, I want I want that. I want him to stay around. Uh, I think he got something to him. So I don't know how true that story is. I have to talk to Trent about that. Um, <laughs> but that you want to be friends with that quarterback because he's got a lot of different options. And if he trusts you and if he believes in you, then you know what, you're going to have a chance to be successful. So I think just work ethic and just working on um, just the little things, the attention to detail, the route, uh, getting in and out of your breaks. Obviously, you know, you want to be fast, you want to be explosive uh, and all those things. But look, if you can't run routes and if you're not precise with your routes, uh, you're not going to last, especially if you're trying to play in the NFL. Well, I think that is fantastic results to me. Boil it down. Talk about the details. Get your extra work in there. Nothing's going to trump your, your work ethic. That's where it's got to start. And then you earn the trust of your quarterback. You're in a pretty good place. That's a good good place to start uh, right there. Man, Brandon, I cannot thank you enough, man. I could sit here and talk about this forever with you. Uh, it's been a pleasure not only to watch you throughout your career, but to get to know you in your post-playing career. You do a wonderful job in the media. Um, and we can't thank you enough for your time today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, Buck, anytime you could talk to somebody who's uh, played the position for 15 years in the National Football League, uh, uh, the expertise that we were able to uh, to get from Brandon Stokely there was outstanding. And I, I, I did chuckle a little bit when he referred to himself as Peyton Manning's, uh, his little guy over the middle. Yeah, it's funny how he kind of became Peyton Manning's go-to guy, one of his favorite targets in critical situations. His ability to work the middle of the field really put himself in a position where he could occupy a prominent role for years for first the Colts and then the Denver Broncos. I just like when Brent Stokely talked about the position and just being a skilled guy, a craftsman, being able to work on the craft, and even if you do or don't have speed, being able to run routes to create separation, that is the difference between good and great receivers at that level. And look, it, it again points out the importance of having the basketball team, a conversation we're going to have with Coach Billick about having different styles of receivers and guys that are big, guys that are quick, um, guys that are inside guys versus outside guys. You have to have a collection there. Um, as much as it'd be fun to trot out a bunch of six foot five guys, Buck, to have somebody in the middle of the field 
uh, that can get in and out of a break and get you some easy completions, third and four, third and five, and you have yourself a guy like Edelman or somebody uh, plays the game like Brandon Stokely did. We see it with Adam Humphreys. Um, we've seen a lot of guys carve out a nice role for themselves uh, in the slot. Cole Beasley is another one. So uh, it's, uh, it's fascinating when you're scouting the position. It's not cookie cutter. You want a collection of different skills. Yeah, you absolutely want a collection of different schools, skills. If we think about it in baseball, we talk about five-tool players, guys that have the ability to do a variety of different things, and they can fill in in a bunch of different roles. Speed, physicality, toughness, uh, the ability to run after the catch like we talked about, big play ability, meaning they can stretch the defense vertically or they can make plays on horizontal looks. And finally, reliability, consistency, being able to show up each and every week. And if you're the number one receiver, no matter who is opposite you, you find a way to deliver the goods when the goods are needed. That is what I'm looking to see. All right, Buck, well, that was a fun conversation there with Brandon Stokely. And uh, if you listen closely, you heard him mention uh, that Trent Dilfer saved him because Brian Billick wanted to cut him. True or false? We're about to find out. We're going to jump into this receiver discussion today, and I'm going to have some fun there. But right off the top, you need to clear something up because uh, your guy, Brandon Stokely, who we both love, came on and said that his time as a Raven was going to be brief, if not for Trent Dilfer going to you uh, to lobby that he remain on the team. Now, we need to know, uh, is this true or false? Well, you know what? Here, you know, Brandon Stokely is this smallish, slow white guy. So right from the get-go, you're going, okay, I, I, you know, where, where's this guy going to fit? But I will tell you what, now, no, there's no point I was going to let Brandon Stokely go. I'll tell you who his biggest advocate was, which will surprise you a little bit. Obviously, Trent, as a quarterback, recognized the value that he yeah. could have. Steve Schaefer, who was our longtime defensive backfield coach, been in the league a long, long time. Steve, more so than anybody, and of course the DB coach, and you see him, and you know, you're opposite him, you see all the receivers. Mm -hmm. Steve was the one that said, Hey, guys, if we don't keep Brandon Stokely, it's a mistake because this guy can play. He's one of the <laughs> hardest guys, he's an intelligent player, the basketball and grass, he knew where to go. So that was probably his biggest proponent of all the coaches and players, was the defensive backfield coach for the Ravens. Oh, there you go. So we've got the uh, the true story there. Uh, Coach, one of the things we talked about when you joined us a couple years ago, um, and, and really it's got legs because we've continued to talk about it. A lot of other people have picked it up as well. When we look at the wide receiver position, you use the term uh, trying to build a basketball team, guys with different skill sets, different sizes. Um, get, for those that haven't heard that explanation, uh, can you explain it to them? Yeah, just the fact that when you when you have a receiving core and you're gonna you know you're gonna have five or six guys that you carry in in varying uh, you know varying areas. But Iowa, you don't want all the same players. Like a basketball team, I need my big man. You know, I mean my off forward. I need that power forward. I need a point guard, but I need an off guard. Each brings a little something different for what you need. And anytime we were good offensively and had a good receiving core, particularly with that 98 group that set all the records in Minnesota, we had a diversity in what we were able to do. Whatever you wanted to do coverage-wise, we had an answer for you. Uh, we just talk, talking, got done talking about a Brandon Stokely, a guy that you look at the sheer mm -hmm. physical skills, and you go, okay, if I put 10 guys in a room, you're going to kind of go, well, I, you know, it, there's going to be other guys that are bigger, faster, stronger, whatever. But he served a very specific purpose in that starting five. I'd kind of put him in that off guard you know, capacity to be able to fill in off that, you know, a Chris Carter, if he'd have been with me in Minnesota, you know, that yin and yang that you have. 
um, you need that well-rounded group, and so you can't have all the same type of players. And speaking to that, Coach, one of the phrases we hear a lot, and we, we use it in scouting all the time, we talk about somebody that can take the top off the defense, having a, a true speed guy. Uh, what, what's the importance of having somebody uh, that has that ability to be able to really stretch the field? What does that do for an offense? What does that do for you as a play caller? Well, just that. It does just as the term indicates. It takes the top off the defense. It backs everybody up. It's one of those, you know, you best back up because if you let this guy fly by you, and we have any number of guys that could do that, you know, it, it's a rare talent because it's one thing to fly by people, but can you catch it? You know, can you make the catch on top of it? So you not only have to be able to – and what that does, it just loosens the defense. It loosens up the underneath zones or the underneath men. It allows you matchups because maybe you have to put two guys on that guy that can take the vertical and go over the top. So now I'm going to get a one-on-one -on -one matchup. Uh, I know we're going to talk a little later about I had the ultimate take the top off the defensive guy and Randy Moss. <laughs> and what that did for a Chris Carter – underneath who you know was a hall of famer in his own right but what that did for him in terms of matchups and what he could do underneath so i go back to the basketball on grass mentality if i have that dominant big man in the middle or that dominant three-point shooter that guy that the defense has to adjust for schematically it's going to open up a whole lot of opportunities for others and what's your definition, Coach, of a – we use the phrase number one wide receiver. In your opinion, what's the definition of a number one wide receiver? That guy that dictates what a defense has to do. Now, that number one guy could be just like we talked about, a guy with size or speed that can take the top off. It may be a guy that in the intermediate zones, like a Chris Carter, that you just you can't, you're not going to win one-on-one. -on -one. You're going to have to bracket or you're going to have to play zone. It may be a guy like a Gronkowski that is just so physical mm -hmm. in terms of the matchups and where you can get him the ball. So that that dominant one number one right now, and, and we probably throw the term around too loosely. There's only a handful of guys yep. that are truly that dominant number one. Right now, you know, Julio Jones is probably the most dominant number one uh, that we have in the league right now in terms of everything that he can do. And a guy that you, you know, if you go in, you better account for him on every single play. You can bracket him. You can roll over the top of him. You can jam him. You better do something because you if ever leave him one-on-one -on -one or unaccounted for, the quarterback's going to find him. Most difficult part of the transition, you know, a lot of times we see guys in college that don't see much press coverage, and that's one of the areas we, we often focus on. But in, in your experience, having been around this position forever, Coach, the most difficult part of that transition is what? Yeah, I think it's that physical aspect. Many times when you look and you bring players in the NFL, you say, okay, are they NFL ready? Are they position ready? Uh, is there so, can you, are they plug and play? And for a while you think, well, certainly a receiver falls into that category because you just have the physical skills of speed and hands and catch and whatever. But compared to some other positions, I actually think it's one of the toughest transitions for just what you alluded to. One, the physicality of the game and the idea of what's open in the NFL. When you're in college football, <laughs> you can create a window because the matchup from week to week, player to player, side to side, you know, yeah, you their number one corner may match up with you, but how does their two, three, and four match up with you if I'm in the college game? Where in the NFL, yeah. two, three, and four are pretty darn good. And so it's that kind of matchup, creating the windows to be able to create the separation that a quarterback knows he can, he can get the ball to you, plus can he trust you? 
Can he, you know, a quarterback, uh, that relationship, particularly with the young player, can I trust him? Can I put the ball in a certain place that I know that's where it has to go to get completed? And is he going to adapt to it? Is he going to know? I, I think of a Ben Roethlisberger and the way he, you know, matures these young receivers that come into Pittsburgh year after year. Uh, he develops a trust with them and they realize, okay, I got to be where I need to be when I'm supposed to be there doing what I'm supposed to be doing with a quarterback like a Ben Roethlisberger or an Aaron Rodgers or any of the great quarterbacks if I'm going to be successful in this league. Well, you mentioned it there with, with Ben Roethlisberger and some of the success. Now, there's a little bit of friction there with Antonio Brown. And Antonio Brown, uh, kind of the latest example where you can have unique personalities uh, at the wide receiver position, which is going to lead me uh, to some of the guys you got a chance to coach. We're going to talk about Randy Moss in, in just a little bit. But first, I want to talk about Chris Carter. And I'm going to tee up this little bite here of, uh, of Chris Carter and John Randall on Chris Carter's personality because uh, dealing with receivers and, and, uh, and some of those big, boisterous personalities is not something new. Uh, as you can hear right here. I hated playing team sports. And I really hated playing with other players that I had to depend on. And I really had to adjust my temperament to rely on them because it was all of us trying to win. I guess you would say he was pushing people to the, to the limits. And it rubbed some of the guys the wrong way. Come on, man. You got to start making some plays. Don't be out like that. Start to make some plays. Make some plays. Being um, uh, not the favorite player on the team and all that, oh, that's irrelevant to me. But was I honest? Was I fair? And did I do everything I promised to my teammates that I would do? Those are the things that you have to ask. Yeah, Chris, Chris, and everything you heard there, I think, sums up what being a receiver in the National Football League, even with the diva moniker that they get, because mm -hmm. the thing that distinguished it, and believe me, yeah, Chris was a handful. He was a handful to coach. Maybe one of my favorite <laughs> players of all time. But you had you came to work every day ready to deal because, one, he's very, very intelligent. And he, he, he could see things. He had great street smarts. And if you, if you stumbled around, if you weren't consistent, if you started to BS coach him a little bit, uh, he, he was not shy about jumping in your grill going, hey, you, you're not helping me here. You're not coaching me here. You're of no use to me here. And he was right. Uh, the thing that, that distinguished him from those that, that think, okay, maybe that's the way I want to be as a receiver, Chris came every day in practice, in games. He came to work. And as a, you know, when, as a coach, you responded to that professionalism going, okay, fair enough. I got to be on my game. And those around him need to be on their game because he's on his game and he works. If he's one of those guys that tried to skate by and not do the little things, then that's a little harder. And yeah, did he rub some people the wrong way? Sure. But they also recognize this guy's the real deal. And you're going to put up with a lot uh, when someone's willing to step up every time like that. It's interesting because you hear a lot about Antonio Brown and his work ethic and, and the work that he put in. A lot of these guys, and I, look, I don't know Antonio Brown that well, but you, you kind of get a reputation personality-wise. But from your experience, Coach, you, you deal with the personalities, it sounds like, if these guys are putting in the work and the results come along with it. Sure. And, and with Chris, and I imagine Antonio Brown's the same way. Um, you know, the diva receiver, I, used to, I like the term competitive um, uh, aggressive competitiveness, okay? Competitive arrogance mm -hmm. in that Chris Carter truly believed, get me the ball. If you want to win, if you want to score touchdowns, get me the ball. 
And I used to have on my game plan, and that was a fair assertion because he would deliver. I used to have on my game plans when I was coordinating in Minnesota a Carter box, which was as a game evolves and he's going to get the ball. But if, if the game is going in a certain way and you haven't been able to get the ball to him, it was, okay, i got to go to one of these because I've got to keep Chris involved, not only from the standpoint to keep him engaged, uh, and so he wasn't over on the sideline in my ear, you know, going after me. Uh, but but just from the standpoint, okay, we, we where can I get Chris the ball? Because it's usually going to have a real positive effect. And the great ones dictate that for you in terms of how you've got to use them. And the quarterbacks recognize that as well. Now, it is a balance. You know, you talk about a Ben Roethlisberger and having to deal with that. That yep. genuine passion for give me the ball because we want to win and I can win for us but also the dictates of, you know what, I got some other guys too, and as hard as it is for you to understand, maybe you're not open, okay? It's hard for a receiver sometime mm-hmm. to appreciate that. So it, it is a lot for the quarterback to have to juggle. The two words I wrote down there, competitiveness, and then really two phrases, then work ethic. I think when you have those as the foundation, I think then you can maybe see past some of those things. And I think that's a great example. I think of Michael Thomas with the Saints, um, whose Twitter handle is literally Can't Guard Mike, who was ultimately uh, so competitive. And and that drive is what drives his work ethic, and we've seen the production that that follows it. So when we're looking at the scouting process, Coach, I think that's a box. That competitiveness box is maybe a little underrated there at the wide receiver position. Sure it is, because, and and no more so, you've got some great examples. And I think maybe as much with receiver as any other position on the team where I don't know that we've had as many players impact the league that were late-round draft choices or free agents the way we do. You think of Adam Thielen in Minnesota. Uh, You think of Julian Mm -hmm. Edelman. In, in in New England, where like we were talking New about England. before, that when you, you look at them and size them up and saying, well, okay, how do these talents size up with a Julio Jones or a Randy Moss? I mean, the evidence and you're going, well, it's just, this guy's bigger and he's faster and stronger. How can he not be a better receiver? But <laughs> you have some of these guys that have that competitiveness and they realize I've got to find a niche. I'm not as big as fast or strong. I can't jump as high. So I got to find, how do I offset that? Well, I'm going to be smarter. I'm going to be able to work my way open and know where the soft areas are of the zone. I'm going to be competitive. I'm going to develop that basketball and grass and, and, and find that niche that can offset the fact that I maybe don't have the physical skills of these other guys. And that's how you end up with the late round draft choices or the free agents. Antonio Brown's a perfect example. A guy that, you know, again, oh, yeah. for any number of the reasons, we make the mistake. Oh, they're not big enough. They're not strong enough. They're not fast enough. But they find that combination of abilities to bring out that competitiveness. And they bring it every single day. And, and that's why the back-end guys can be successful in this league. No, I think it's a great point. Uh, Coach, I selfishly want to transition a little bit here and talk about Randy Moss. I think there's a debate. Uh, some people believe there's a debate. Some say there isn't. It's always Jerry Rice and Randy Moss is the discussion. I don't think there's a debate, though. Uh, that's for who's the best wide receiver in the history of the NFL. I don't think there's a debate for who's the most talented uh, wide receiver in the history of the NFL. And let's let you listen to this uh, a bite again. This is Chris Carter and John Randall on Randy Moss when he first joined the Vikings. I really wanted to put a mark on his memory that he would never, ever forget as far as what it was going to take to be great. After a few workouts, I called Dennis Green and told him that he is the most unbelievable athlete that I have ever seen. Most guys, you, you just watch them in practice, 
I always do the opposite. I go over there and talk to the guys who are going against him. And I asked those DBs, what do you think? They were going, there, man. He, I'm not going against him. That summed it up right there. Yeah, Randy, I, I think you sized up very well, DJ, when you said, with all due respect to, to Jerry Rice, who is probably the greatest receiver of all time. I think Randy Moss yeah. is the greatest talent at receiver we've ever seen in this game. And I don't know that we'll ever see the likes of it again. You know, Chris alluded to it there. I remember, remember, Randy Moss kind of fell to us. Uh, Denny Green came in the morning of the draft and says, we're going to get Randy Moss. Now, we were picking at like 21, 22. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. and Denny, who's one of the best personnel coaches I've ever known, God rest his soul, I thought, well, Denny, you're, you, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're off your game now, man, because there's no way Randy Moss gets to us. <laughs> I had done my work on Randy Moss but not to the yeah. detail because I thought there's no way he gets 21 or 22. Well, he gets past Dallas, he goes past 12, and all of a sudden there's a run here, and I'm going, my God, Denny's right, we're going to get Randy Moss. So now I really throw myself back into the film, and I'm just getting jazzed now. This boy, <laughs> we're going to use it this way. Well, Chris called me about two weeks later, and Chris Carter used to have a workout camp down in Fort Lauderdale, and a lot of veteran, you know, a lot of players would go down there. Well, certainly Randy goes down there. And, and after a couple of weeks... Uh, after the first couple days that Randy Moss is there, Chris calls me and says, Brian, you have no idea how good Randy Moss is. I go, oh, Chris, I know. Look at the film. We're going to do this. We're, it's going to be awesome. He goes, oh, Brian, listen to me. You have no idea how good Randy Moss is. Uh, and coming from a Chris Carter, that's pretty high praise. And, and, and obviously he delivered. I remember his breakout game. Because I'm always asked, okay, what, when did you know or when, you know, what, what, what yeah. time during the season – there's a lot of Randy Moss stories, but the one, it was a Monday night game in Green Bay. So it's Monday night, it's Minnesota and Green Bay, so obviously it's a huge spotlight. And, and Denny Green, as my head coach, was the great head coach. He didn't interfere a lot. Denny was, he knew what was going on, but Denny didn't bother you on the phones much. But I remember we threw a go route. You know, like a lot of teams were shot with Randy going, okay, now nah, we're not going to let this rookie dictate to us. We're going to put our guy in, and he go by him. And, and he goes by, he gets a touchdown. And Denny switched over, he goes, Brian, you do whatever you want. But I'd do a whole bunch more of that. So we get another one. He gets down the field. Now there are two, there are two guys on him. And, and he goes by one, out jumps the other, and he comes up with a touchdown. Well, now we're, and we're in control of the game. We're near the end of the game. We throw another go to him down the field. Literally, there are three guys on him. And they're draped on him. And he goes up in the end zone and comes down. And that in itself was spectacular. But I will remember most is the three DBs looking back at the sideline, Mike Holmgren, and I think Fritz Shermer was the defensive coordinator, and looking back, and you could see it in their eyes, they were basically saying, what do you want us to do? Because the three <laughs> of us can't do it, okay? So you better think of something else, because we can't stop this guy. That is incredible. Uh, Coach, The uh, uh, if you're looking at the game today and how it's changed, um, from when you were there coaching those great offenses um, to where we are now. Um, what do you feel like maybe is, is more valued in today's game or can be more useful in today's game than what it was, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago? Well, it's interesting you'd bring that up because you think about just, you know, you're talking about two Hall of Famers and Randy Moss and Chris Carter. Can you imagine how lethal they would have been given today's uh -huh. rules? Now, Randy, obviously, more in the latter end of it, but Chris played in a time. We talked yeah. about the transition into the physicality of the game. 
uh, and how that's a tough transition for a college player. And now, given the rules and, and for a lot of different reasons, whether it's the ability to jam or lack of ability to jam, um, the, the, the hitting of the defenseless receivers, for Chris Carter to know now, if he were to play today, knowing I can go into the – because Chris would go in knowing I'm going to get lit up here, but I got to do it because mm -hmm. this is where I got to go to get the ball. Knowing he can go in and be protected the way he is today um, – I think that's probably the biggest thing. Yeah, you always value speed and, and, and that ability to take the top off the defense. But given the rules today, the ability to be able to move the ball in the passing game playing small ball, and no one does it better than New England mm -hmm. Patriots and Tom Brady. And he was when he had a Randy Moss and he had a Gronk and he could do the things down the field. But where Brady, a Peyton Manning, even an Aaron Rodgers are so brilliant is being able to play that small ball. They're starting five. They know they can dictate a certain coverage, and they're going to have that uh, that uh, off off guard, or they're going to have that guy that can move around in a space that I know I can get the I know where the hole in the defense is, and I'm going to throw it there because I've got a guy that also knows where that hole is and has the ability with that basketball on grass mentality. So certainly, always looking for the the big receiver and the guy that can you know man up down the field and out muscle. But I think the basketball on grass, the ability to move in the underneath zones, given the rules today, you you better have a couple of those guys on your team. Absolutely. Well, that is a. Uh... That is great wisdom from you today, Coach. I can't thank you enough. Uh, it's a it's a it's a game that's that the ball is going up in the air more and more each and every year. The wide receiver position. I don't know that it's ever been more important than it is today. Uh, thanks for shedding some light on it for us. Love doing it, DJ. All right, Buck, this has been a uh, another learning experience here on the Prototype Series, wrapping up these wide receivers. We're going to get to who we believe is a prototype at the position, but uh, I'm curious. I, I know you do. we got pages and notes once again, don't we? Oh, man, we, we, we do have pages of notes. Like, just to be able to learn from, from the guys that we're able to kind of share. Uh, I think Coach Billick obviously does a great job of kind of detailing uh, the wide receiver position, and we have all these side conversations where he talks about it. Uh, in fact, I remember him talking about the basketball team and having different guys to, to carry on different roles. And so when we think about the prototypes and the guys they were talking to in terms of Stokely and Thomas Dimitrov, I think we gained a little more insight on what it takes to be a number one receiver in the league and why so many guys are fascinated by finding the prototype. Yeah, it's uh, really kind of going back over the last 30 years uh, we had uh, uh, represented in this in these conversations. So uh, learned a lot during the process. And again, if this is the first time you're checking out this series, go back and, and listen to the, the uh, quarterback and the running back episodes. I think you'll enjoy those uh, as well. All right, this is the uh, moment of truth here. We need to come up with who we believe is the prototype at the position. And Buck, uh, we, we see the game the same, but mm -hmm. through this prototype series, when we've tried to come up with who we believe is a prototype, we have not agreed at this point in time on who that prototype is. That changes right now. I don't know who you're going to say, but I believe in my gut and in my heart that we're going to have the same guy. Man, this is tough because normally I would opt for the big, fast, physical athlete that can overwhelm you on the perimeter. But in my mind, I think the prototype is Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, no, nope. and no, the reason the, same. the reason the same. he's the prototype because look, he's fast, he's explosive, he's dynamic. He can take the top off the defense as a vertical threat. He can run away from people on horizontal drag routes. He has the ability to step up and make these highlight-worthy catches in critical moments. To me, he is everything that you want. And if you don't double-team him on every play, he can hurt you. To me, that's what a dominant number one receiver is able to do. 
Yeah, look, he needs to stay healthy. I mean, that would be the only knock, really, uh, against Odell Beckham. And he gets out there for 16 weeks or 17 weeks, I should say, uh, representing 16 games with the Cleveland Browns. The numbers are going to be huge uh, there with Baker Mayfield. It's, uh, I can't argue that's not a bad choice. I would go with my choice, though, and DeAndre Hopkins, because with DeAndre Hopkins, I get a little more size and physicality. Um, I like guys on third down and in the red zone when everybody in the whole stadium knows where the football is going and you can't do a darn thing about it. And that's what DeAndre Hopkins has been uh, throughout his career. Um, Somebody, gosh, 115 catches over 1,500 yards, uh, 11 touchdowns last year. Buck, he finally has a quarterback in Deshaun Watson. So you're going to see these types of numbers each and every year. Um, Just knows how to do it, knows how to get in and out of breaks, create that separation at the top of his route, catches everything, catch radius, uh, you name it. And that's why when I go on the on the scouting path in the fall and the spring trying to evaluate these players, to be honest with you, I'm trying to find that next DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, it's tough because DeAndre Hopkins is unique in terms of he's not a blazer. He's not a, a physically imposing guy. But yet when you watch him at the top of the route, he consistently gets separation. Some of that separation is due to the ball being in the air. He finds a way to subtly push the defender out the way. But his hand-eye coordination, his concentration, the overall ball skills, he consistently comes down with these spectacular plays. At some point, you have to give him credit because he's been able to do it with and without a franchise quarterback, and you just don't see guys sustain his kind of production without being a dude on the perimeter. Yeah, it's a, look, there's a lot of good guys to choose from. You know, you've got Tyreek Hill, the most explosive player in the NFL right now. Um, you know, Julio Jones, Mike Evans, uh, Michael Thomas has been on a tear yeah. Uh, Devontae Adams. I mean, we, Antonio, we haven't talked about Antonio Brown. I mean, there are a lot of great wide receivers in the NFL right now. Um, but, man, it's uh, uh, it's hard to argue with, too. We've got two good ones there, Odell Beckham uh, and DeAndre Hopkins. That's going to do it for us today, Buck, on the wide receiver episode. Again, if you've missed any of these episodes on the Prototype Series, I would encourage you to check it out because – I feel like our goal in this series, Buck, is, mm-hmm. you know, some people, we're trying to educate the audience. Now, we're, we're selfish. We're trying to educate ourselves, and, and hopefully you're, you're learning something along the way here. Yeah, man, it's been, it's been terrific. Like, I, I just love uh, what we're doing. I love how this series has kind of grown. I can't wait to see what we're able to do next and down the line. I know we're staying heavy on offense, but, man, when we get to the defense side of the ball, whew, should be exciting. Yeah. Yeah, we've got some great guests. We've already uh, recorded a couple of those conversations. You guys are going to enjoy it, too, I promise. Uh, do us a favor. If you're just checking us out for the first time, subscribe to the Move Sticks podcast. Rate us, review us. Uh, we do appreciate that. Uh, plenty more content coming your way, and the NFL season is going to be here before you know it, and that's when we really crank things up here on Move the Sticks. He's Bucky Brooks. I'm Daniel Jeremiah. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. 
Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.